together here. But for today, Ephesians chapter 6, we've been talking about our identity in Christ for the last three months. Let me catch you up if you're, if you're brand new here. That, uh, uh, you know, where do you get your identity from? How do you view yourself? Is it based on your failures or successes or what other people say or your body image or, or uh, how much money you have? Uh, by the way, happy anniversary, uh, Gilbert and Terry, right? Yeah, seven years today. Good job. You made it. All right. Um, but um, here's, here's, what, here's what the Bible says, is that our identity is based on who God says we are. And I want you to know that you are not some amoeba from primordial goo who evolved into an ape over zillions of years. You are created in the image of God. You are God's highest crowning glory. And uh, yes, we as human beings fell into sin. Uh, we became children of disobedience, children of wrath, the Bible says, but God. Those are the words we read in Ephesians, but God. God did something that by grace, through his mercy, you and I are saved. Jesus Christ, God's son, came to this earth. God, in a human life, lived a perfect life for us, went to the cross and took the payment for our sin that we deserve, that I deserve, that you deserved, died on the cross, rose again from the dead, and that you and I are saved, not by our own works, not by anything we do, but by placing our faith in who Jesus is and what he did. And when that happens, God's spirit comes to live inside of you, and you've been given a new identity. You are now a child of God. You're redeemed. You're forgiven. You're adopted. You're chosen. You're secure. You're accepted. You're sealed. You're significant. All these things in Christ Jesus. And so we've been talking about how to live that out uh, these last few weeks, living it out at home, living it out in our uh, marriages, living it out today in our workplaces. Now, before I get to the message today, the passage of scripture we're going to look at talks about masters and slaves. And I want to take just a few minutes to deal with this because critics of the Bible, which really make me mad, say that the Bible supports slavery, or at the very least, that the Bible doesn't speak out against slavery. And uh, nothing could be further from the truth. You know, slavery has existed. It didn't just happen the last couple hundred years or whatever in America. It's existed from the beginning of humanity because of the sinfulness and evil that exists in the heart of human beings. And even though we have all kinds of laws, the evil practice still continues today. These statistics are from the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Human trafficking is a $150 billion per year business. That's more than the NFL, the NBA, the Major League Baseball, and, and National Hockey League combined. And it has eclipsed the illegal arms trade. And so when we look at slavery, even God's people, Israel, at the beginning were uh, slaves in Egypt. And God allowed that to happen or used it, shall we say, to grow them into a nation. But what did he do? He said, let my people go. He brought them out. When Jesus came to this earth 2,000 years ago, he said he came to set free the captives. He preached the gospel to the downtrodden, to the poor, to the oppressed, to the broken. God has a special heart for those that are oppressed and suffering in this world. And critics have pointed out that Israel had slaves, that it mentions slavery in the Old Testament. And yes, it does, but that was not the evil practice of kidnapping children or kidnapping people of another race. The reason Israel had slaves was in that day, if a man couldn't pay off his debts. The only thing he had left to sell was himself. And he said, I will become your slave, your servant, okay? 
and they were treated like servants, but he would serve them for a certain amount of years. And there were laws that protect those slaves. For example, Exodus 21 said a man couldn't be a, a servant or a slave longer than six years. At the end of six years, he was set free. It didn't matter how big his debt was. If his servant was mistreated, if you punched your servant and his tooth came out, you had to let him go. If a servant ran away, according to Deuteronomy 23, came to your town, you would not send him back because it showed that he'd been mistreated. So again, God had laws and things in place. So 2,000 years ago when the Word of God was written, there were over 6 million slaves in the Roman Empire. And so God's Word spoke into that culture. And there were slaves that came to Christ. And there were some masters that came to Christ. And so when we read slaves and masters, it's, it's not, in fact, the book of Philemon, if you've ever read that in the New Testament, there's a book in your New Testament called Philemon. You might not know that. Um, but it was written to a slave owner whose former slave Onesimus had run away. And Paul, he's now become a Christian. And so Paul's sending him back to his master saying, saying Philemon, don't receive him as a slave, receive him as a brother. He's your brother in Christ, and you receive him as you would me, okay? So you, you might be saying, well, pastor, why doesn't the Bible speak against slavery? And I have a very spiritual answer. I have no idea. Because I didn't write the Bible. But let me tell you this, that the entire thrust of the gospel and the word of God is anti-slavery. And God's word, listen, God doesn't want us to change the world through laws and political activism because there are laws against slavery right now, but it's still happening. The way people's, the, the culture has changed is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You might not have heard of this guy, but you know him. Let me tell you, John Newton. He was a slave trader, a slave owner. He, was a, he drove slave ships uh, just in the, around the British Empire. Um, he, he was deeply involved in the slave trade. He was a faithless, godless person. And he heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he became a minister of the gospel, an abolitionist, and wrote words that you sing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. That's how you get rid of slavery. In fact, the abolition that happened in England uh, it was the preaching of John Wesley and others in the gospel that brought about the social change, okay? So don't be saying that God is pro-slavery makes me mad, and it ain't right. All right, here we go. So let's get, so, so again, we're talking about slaves and masters. We don't have slaves and masters, but the principles of God's word still apply. So today, when we read slave and master, what I want you to think of is employer and employee, Okay? Why? Because some of you feel stuck in your job. Don't say amen, but you know what I'm talking about. Okay? You have to go to work and you have to do... Why is someone on my staff smiling? No. Um, why, somebody... So you have to go to work and work for maybe a difficult boss or work in a difficult situation or you don't like your job. This, this is God's word specifically to Christians. Okay? As to, there are some principles we can apply in the marketplace today. So let's go ahead and read what the Word of God says. Ephesians 6, verse 5. Slaves, be obedient to, your, to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. 
Not by way of thy service as men pleavers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. With good will render service as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that whatever good thing that each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters do the same. Do the same things to them. Give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no partiality with him. Father, I pray your word today will speak to our hearts, that we'd open up our spirit man to receive from you. In Christ's name, amen. I want to talk today about how to live out our identity as Christians in the workplace, especially when you don't love your job. Now, I am really blessed for almost 30 years. I have loved my job. It is the greatest job in the world. But before I had this job, I had other jobs I didn't love. I worked at KL Manufacturing up on Monroe Street and was a sewing operator. I've lost that skill. I, uh, I worked in a, in a grocery store meat market cleaning out at the end of the day, all of the meat stuff. That was like dirty jobs on micro. Um, I was a telemarketer that sold prearranged funeral plans. You know how many times I got hung up on? That was great. Um, I was in the Air Force for six years, and I, I enjoyed the military, but in the Air Force, every year or so, you get a new supervisor. And I had some supervisors who, let's just say, made my life challenging. And, uh, and I've driven for Uber since I've been here at sometimes to make ends meet. So there are some jobs that I understand what it's like. Most people's attitude towards work in the world today is that work is a four-letter word. Right? I mean, isn't this, oh, it's Monday, i got to go to work. It's like, oh, Friday, woo-hoo, right? And then Monday and, you know. Uh, and, and I've even had Christians say to me, well, pastor, isn't work a result of the fall? Didn't God say, cursed shall be the ground now, Adam, and we have to work because of sin? That is a wrong interpretation. Listen, Adam and Eve had work to do before the fall. And in, and in heaven, we're going to have work to do. Work is a gift from God that you and I have been given and blessed with uh, all, all throughout. And so, you know, we, we can't, oh, just can't wait till Saturday, can't wait till vacation, can't wait till retirement, and we just suck it up and endure work. And I think one of the reasons we do this is that as a follower of Christ, we have confused the difference between your job and your work. Okay? Let me explain that. Jesus said, my father sent me to accomplish his work. He had work to do from the Father, and that work was to seek and to save the lost. And after Jesus lived and died and rose again, he turned to his disciples and he said, okay, I'm giving you a mission. You have a work to do. Go preach the gospel to all creation. Go make disciples. Go be a witness. And so your job is what you do to help bring money into your family, but your work is to do the work of the kingdom. Your job may be a checker at... Um, yeah, Rosars, but your work is to be a disciple, to make disciples, to be a witness, to share the gospel. Your job may be to be a uh, software developer at a high-tech company, but your work is the work of the kingdom. And Jesus said, my father is always working, and so am I. So God is at work. He's called us to join the work. And three things I want you to, to share with you this morning. You can take notes inside your outline. Uh, three principles we find here and other places in scriptures uh, that I want to challenge you to 
um, I'll use the word repent, and the word repent is a Bible word that means to change your mind, to change your thinking, okay? This is a message encouraging you as a Christian to repent, to change the way you think. Number one, your workplace is your mission field. When Jesus said, go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel, or go make disciples of all the nations, that doesn't mean you have to go to Africa to do it, Okay? If he sends you to work at Kaiser, uh, you know, then that's your mission field. If he sends you to work at, at McDonald's, that's your mission field. Wherever you are is your mission field. And you might be thinking, well, Pastor, I, I, I'm not allowed to share my faith at work. And again, because um, the world tells us, hey, we don't mind if you're Christians. Just keep that Christianity stuff in the church. Just keep that stuff in your home. Don't bring it to the workplace. And somehow I think we've bought into that. There is, listen, in the, in the Bible, there is no difference between the sacred and the secular. You can't leave Jesus at home because Christ is in you. Do you understand that? And you are a walking Bible. You are a, the Bible uses the word Christian as Christ-like or little Christ. You are a representation. This is totally cliche, but, you know, uh, you, you represent Jesus. And, and it doesn't matter if, you're, if you can preach the gospel at your workplace. I actually can preach the gospel at my workplace. It's kind of great. Um, but what is it St. Thomas again has said or one of those saints, you know, uh, preach the gospel at all times if necessary, use words, right? So here's the deal. Some of you here this morning, you, you don't know me. You don't know if I'm real, if I'm fake, okay? But you, but people work with me 10, 20, 30 hours a week, and that's the point I'm making. You go to work, and you're, you're with somebody 10 hours a week or 20 hours a week or 30 hours a week, and they get to know you. Do you understand? And what they see is, oh, my gosh, this person's kind of joyful, or this person actually cares about me. This person is loving, or this person is faithful, he or she is a good friend. They're loyal or they're good. I mean, they're different from everyone. Everyone seems to be walking this way and they're walking this way. And that's what we're talking about here is that when we go and go into our workplaces and just be who God's called us to be, living out the actions of a disciple, and then we can invest in people's lives. So here's the deal. Here's the bottom line. Your workplace is your mission. I want to encourage you to make friends at work. I want to encourage you to just reach out and just be yourself. We're not talking about, well, I need to reach out to my person at the next desk so I can be his friend so I can share the gospel with him. I'm just saying care about the person, right? As you surrender your life to Christ, that you and I go into these places. Because, you know, the number one threshold that people, one, the first step that most people take in coming to Christ is they learn to trust a Christian. And they're not going to come to church. And they're not going to talk to me because I have the pastor title on me. But you are a regular person sitting right next to them or working alongside them. And they're going to develop a relationship with you. And see, um, you know, <laughs> when I was a young man, I worked at a place called the Keg Restaurant. It was, uh, I don't think it exists anymore. Most of them have closed down. Uh, this was the restaurant I met my wife in when I was 22. But before that, for several years, uh, I, I was a server and uh, most everybody in restaurant business, parties and drinks and all that stuff. And, and you know, you walk in uh, beginning a shift and everybody's like, uh, right? You know what I mean? And, you know, till they get going. And there was this one uh, young lady. I don't even know her name. She was a prep cook. I could see her face. She was blonde. 
And she just, every day I come to work, it's like a head with a light bulb. You know what I mean? She was just, she was just filled with joy. And she'd say, hi, Jim, how are you doing? And she was just different. And she actually cared about me. And it became very obvious to me that she was a Christian. Okay? And a genuine one at that. This is what she looked like. I, I couldn't find a picture. I couldn't find a picture with a, with a woman, but, but this, was, this is what I saw every day coming into work. And day after day after day, she was consistent. And it was like, she was the very first person in my life to give me a Bible. And again, I don't even know her name. I hope I'm going to meet her someday in heaven and say, hey, what's your name? You know, because she had a profound impact upon me just being a believer at work. That's my encouragement to you. Listen, I've had people say to me, well, Pat, Jim, you don't understand. I'm the only Christian at my entire workplace. There's like 50 people work there, and I'm the only one there. You don't know how hard it is. I'm like, listen, you need to change your mind. God's entrusted those other 49 people to you. Okay? Go let your light shine. You say, well, I can't talk about Jesus. No, you can't, but you could just be you. And eventually, Christ is going to come up in the conversation if they say, well, why are you different? You know? What's going on? Uh, second thing I want to I keep going on here. Uh, second principle I've already mentioned um, is that you represent or you work for Jesus. <laughs> and this is, this is what he says here in this passage. Let's get to the scripture here because look what he says, verse 5. He says, slaves, be obedient to your masters as to Christ. Okay, you're a slave. Don't worry about serving your master. You're serving Christ. He's your boss. Verse 6, don't do it by the way of eye service. And eye service means I'm only going to work hard when my boss is around so I can look good to him. Not as a men pleaser, but again, as slaves to Christ. In other words, I'm an employee of Christ. I work for Jesus. That's a shift in our brain thinking, okay? Uh, verse 7, render service as to the Lord rather than for men. Uh, verse 8, knowing that God will reward you. God's your boss. God's the one who's watching. Um, and again, this is, a, this is a shift to say, okay, first I need to start looking at where I go to work. And by the way, armor of God next week, armor up before you leave the house. Pray. God, help me to walk into this place like a mission field. And then, God, help me to change my mind. I'm not serving my boss, my supervisor. I'm serving you. And that's a total shift. It happened to me, again, when I was stationed at the uh, Elmendorf Air Force Base, Anchorage, Alaska, many years ago. And, again, I was in the Air Force. I was an airman, one stripe on my sleeve. And I had, to this day, what is still the worst boss I'd ever had, Staff Sergeant Knucklehead. Okay, that wasn't his real name. There was another name we used, but I can't repeat it in church. But anyway, um, he was not a fun boss. And he was unreasonable, and he was demanding, and I was having such a hard time. I didn't know at that point that I was going to be a pastor. Um, but one of the things I've learned, by the way, is that God can bring, in fact, I, I went and heard my pastor at that time in Alaska preach, and he said, uh, he called people like that God's heavenly sandpaper. Okay? Now, sandpaper is used when you have rough edges on you. It needs to smooth out, but it hurts, right? And so God brings people like this into your life to, to rub off some of those rough edges on me, right? By the way, do you know that almost every leader in the Bible first had to be a servant? Moses, before he became the leader of Israel, 40 years, taking care of sheep, right? 
Joseph, before he became like number one in Egypt, 10 years as a servant in Potiphar's house, three years in prison. David, before he could become king of Israel, served Saul so faithfully when Saul was trying to kill him, he said, I will not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Joshua was Moses' servant. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. Again, over and over again, we learn from being submissive and humble. And, and God brought me under this boss to teach me what kind of boss I should never be. <laughs> right? And to sandpaper off some stuff in me. And one day as a Christian, I'm reading the Bible, and I come across 1 Peter 2, and here's what it says. It says, servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only those who are good, and gentle, but also those who are unreasonable. And the Holy Spirit's like, Jim, this is for you. And I'm, oh my gosh, God's talking to me right now, right? And because uh, I have an unreasonable boss. And then I keep reading and it says, what credit is there that when you sin, you're harshly treated, you endure it with patience. But if you do what is right and you suffer unjustly and you patiently endure it, it finds favor with God. Do you know what the greatest witnesses you can be to a mean and nasty person is just keeping your heart praying for them and asking the love of God and the grace of God to just, because you kill them with kindness. And again, we can't do that in our own strength. It's fake, right? Because in the flesh, we want to punch somebody in the name of Jesus. Okay? I'm sorry if, I have, I have those thoughts. I used to have those thoughts, you know. But it happens, but that's not what we're called to do. In fact, he goes on to say, for you've been called for this purpose. You've been called to give grace to an unreasonable boss and to be submissive to your boss and to just serve him as an example of what Christ is doing, okay? So here's the bottom line. You work for Jesus, do your best job. Do your best job. I believe with all my heart that Christian employees should be the best workers in the world. And yet I've had people say, I'm never going to hire a Christian again. And it ought not to be that way because we should be working as unto the Lord. Jesus is our boss. He's always working. We should be honest. We should be motivated by the team. We should be being submissive to unreasonable bosses. Why? Because we're not doing it for them. We're not doing it for ourselves. We're doing it for who? For Jesus, for Christ. And the best way you and I can be a good witness is to be good at your job. Do a good day's work for the Lord. What does it say in Colossians? Uh, uh, do all things, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Again, you've got to pray up. You've got to put the armor on because this is the work we're called to. It's not just your job. Our work is to share the gospel everywhere. Michael. Michael has a new ministry called PlayStation Outreach. Michael has been telling us that he's online playing video games with a guy who lives where? New York? He's in New York. So he plays video games and talks to him all the time. Michael... By the grace of God, God has used Michael to lead this guy to Jesus. He's getting baptized next month. Okay? So Michael is working while he's playing. Are you with me? Because that's your work. That's your work is to live for Christ, to be, a, be a, a witness, to make disciples, to share the gospel, to let your light shine in such a way that people see you. And it brings glory to your Father in heaven because there's something different about 
you. One more. I already said it. Here we go. Number three, you represent Jesus. You represent Jesus. And that's the thing. When you live for Christ and you go to work, you don't have to hand out tracts. You don't have to, you know, try to. You, people will figure out soon enough if you're really living for. Listen, the worst testimony can be, you know, I've known him for three years. He's a Christian? Really? Okay. That's not what you want. Because there should be something in the way that you live. If the fruit of the Spirit is coming out of your life, love and joy and goodness and faithfulness and these things, people who are close to you will see there's some real fruit there. There's something different. You, this person represents Jesus as you're living out. We're called to be ambassadors for Christ. I know people who go to work and they're called the preacher man. Uh, you know, Todd was telling me that his dentist calls him pastor. He says, I'm not a pastor. Yeah, but he talks, to him, he talks to the dentist about Jesus, okay? Again, you represent Jesus, so here's the last thing. Bring your best attitude to work. And attitude is everything. And this is hard because for me, when I was in the Air Force, I knew what God was working on my heart was to stop complaining and having a sour attitude uh, and to start bringing a better attitude to work. And I didn't want to go to work. I didn't like my job. I didn't enjoy what I was doing. I hated it. I wanted to be in a different position. But notice what Paul says, verse 5. Slaves, do this in sincerity of heart. Down here, getting to the core of your attitude. As you're a slave serving your master who can command you to do anything, do it from here. Verse 6, again, doing the will of God from the heart, dealing with attitude. Verse 7, with good will, render service. So again, the importance here, we can't do it by ourselves, but through the Holy Spirit, trying to bring Christ-like attitude into my workplace to do the best I can to serve, to submit, to be a team player, to put the mission, not to worry about who's getting the credit, and knowing that my boss God, Jesus, will see what I'm doing, and he'll reward me in due season. Importance of a right attitude on a job. I love this verse. Here it is. Do a few things without grumbling or complaining. Do some things without grumbling. Is that what it says? Do most things without grumbling. What does it say? Do all things without grumbling and complaining. Think about your workplace and how many people complain. They complain about the politics. They complain about the traffic. Complain about the weather. Complain about the boss. Complain that I'm not getting paid enough. Complain, complain, complain. And you and I walk in, light bulb head, right? Doing all things without grumbling and complaining. Why? So that you will prove that you're different. You're blameless, you're innocent, children of God above reproach in a crooked and perverse generation among whom you are shining as lights in the world. This is what God calls us to be, people. Guys, being a Christian isn't about just coming into church and singing songs for Jesus and putting money in the offering plate and going home. It's how we live on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. Being his, yes, Saturday too, thank you. That's right. Being his witnesses. Um, if you're a boss, verse 9, I'm about out of time. Verse, verse 9 says, do the same. Do the same, okay? 
Do the same, which means your job is your mission field. You work for Jesus. You're representing Jesus, okay? Uh, this is you at work, by the way. If you're an employee, you go to work. This is you, whether you're a boss or an employee. You're letting your light shine. Uh, but if you're a boss, he says, do the same. You want your employees to, to do their best to serve you, then you give them your best. Uh, don't just try to exploit them or try to take advantage of them or try to make that extra buck. One of the great examples in the Bible is a man by the name of Boaz. Do you remember Boaz in the Old Testament? Uh, the scripture says that he would greet his workers every day, the Lord be with you, and they would say, and also with you, you know. And there was this symbiotic relationship where he seemed to, he took in the stranger and was kind to the stranger. And those that worked in his uh, field respected him. See, mutual respect is what we've been talking about as we wrap this up today, going all the way back to verse 21 where Paul said, look, every Christian is to put other people as more important than themselves. Being subject, put yourself under, others are more important than you. If you're a wife, here's how you do it, in subjection to your husband. If you're a husband, uh, notice, as to the Lord. Husband, love your wife as the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Parents, raise your children in the Lord. Slaves, serve in the Lord. Masters, are you getting this theme that's going on? Just like you have a master who is the Lord in heaven, here's how you treat. We treat other people in every position of life as if we're treating Christ. We don't talk about it that much, but uh, um, when Jesus, go ahead and worship team, come up here if you would. Uh, as we prepare for our final song, that, you know, Jesus tells this story, uh, I think it's in Matthew 25 or Matthew 26, and, he, and, and this is going to be at the end times, and he says, uh, he, you know, well done, good and faithful servant, and he's bringing a reward, and he says, you know, I was in prison, and you came to visit me, and I was naked, and you clothed me, and I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. Remember that? And they said, well, Lord, when, when did we do that for you? And he said, whatever you did to the best people. No, what did he say? Whatever you did to the, to the least of my brethren. You might have a boss right now that is the least of human beings on the face of the earth, and you think there is no. Why are you nodding your head, Aaron? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. You might have a boss who is like the worst human being you've ever met in your life. But when you treat him the way you would treat Christ, watch and see what God does. Watch and see what God does. I want to encourage you to be an ambassador for, uh, for Christ, to, to consider your workplace, your mission field, to work for Jesus starting today. Would you stand up with me this morning? Uh, I'm going to ask our prayer team to come up, and as we uh, Come to the last song of the service this morning. We're going to have people that are going to be stationed around. Uh, some are going to be in the back. Some are going to be up front here. If you would like somebody to pray with you about your situation, about your uh, job, and it can be something else. Maybe you have somebody who uh, you just need prayer for or some other situation in your life you need prayer for. I'd like to invite you to come. One of these will be there. If you'd like to just kneel on the altar, you can. We got somebody in the back, I think, as well. So let's just bow our heads and uh, uh, pray. And then during this time, let's commit ourselves to the Lord. Father, in all areas of our life, 
Help us to be subject in, in subjection, submission to you and to treat other people as we would treat you. And I pray, especially as we spend so much of our time, those of us that have full-time jobs, working in places where there are people who are more challenging sometimes, I pray. I pray that every person here who is a follower of Christ would take seriously that, that work that you have given all of us to do to be a light shining in the darkness, to see where we work as our mission field, to change our mind and do our work as unto you. Give us the strength and the grace to do that. Father, this morning, if there's anyone here that needs to give their life to Jesus for the first time to receive Christ, help them to come. Or anyone else who needs prayer for anything else, have your way as we sing this song, as we respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen.